Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. We're here yet again to preview the World Cup and I'm joined by Ben from Who Scored and friend of the show, Julian Lawrence, who is out in Qatar. Julian, how is it? Hi guys, it's it's good so far, I have to say. I mean, the weather helps, I won't lie, especially uh, I'm hearing that it's raining a lot in uh, in the UK. We've got sun, it's hot. People have been very welcoming. There's obviously issues here, we know that, but people have been very welcoming. And now that the football has started, you really get into, you know, into the World Cup, the spirit, the fans are there. So yeah, it's been good so far. Yeah, I feel a bit like that, Ben. I wasn't really looking forward to it. And then as soon as it started, I think basically actually, as soon as England played well, Ben, I started to get excited and realised, even though it's Christmas nearly, this is a World Cup and I should enjoy it. Yeah, um, obviously the first game wasn't great, Qatar, Ecuador. Um, no. Not the most appealing to kick off the tournament, but as soon as England get underway, you think, right, World Cup's here, let's go. Yeah, and it's good for this show, Julian. Obviously, England won well and France won well last night as well. Are England and France among the favourites for you so far? Yeah, I think so. Maybe you put them below Argentina still and, and Brazil, of course, who we haven't seen yet. Uh, but I think they've got strong arguments to be amongst the, the favourites because especially with the ball going forward, they are both pretty amazing the strike force in for both sides is just is just so so good and yet there's question marks over the rest and defensively especially but if you score more goals than the opponent you will always win so i think this is something that could be very interesting for both england and france yeah and argentina game yesterday absolutely incredible saudi arabia probably one of the best world cup performances ever especially being one nil down at, at half time they, they played that high line in the first half they, they ran the risk they got away with it just i think argentina had three goals disallowed but then mm. in the second half some unbelievable defending and actually as well julian some clinical finishing incredible i mean we talked a lot about xg on the show and all of that i mean talk about over was, was it we said like overdoing your xg or i can't remember the word but 0.15 xg for two goals and the second one especially an absolute beauty you can try over again i'm not sure how many times he would score uh Al-Darsari, and then he did and for everything good that argentina did and there was not much to be fair i was i thought it was quite underwhelming the performance Saudi Arabia deserved that win. They fought so hard. You said the intensity, the way they played, the high line defensively with the back five was great. There was always a last-ditch tackle. There was always winning the second ball. There was always all that energy. And in the end, Hervé Renard, their French manager, pulled out once again an amazing an amazing result like he did with, with Zambia, for example, uh, uh, Afcon uh, a few years ago. It was it's just great, and that, this is this is what we love the World Cup so much is to see those kind of upset, and this has to be one of the the biggest shocks of World Cup history. Yeah, the manager looks so cool prowling the touchline. I can't remember which designer shoes he had on, but he had some serious footwear, and I saw him prowling that touchline. I thought he means absolute business. Ben Holland as well, not the not the best performance, but got the job done. Would you still put them amongst the favourites? Or where, I suppose, where would you rank them amongst the favourites? Um, I'd say they're below Brazil and Argentina still. You know, Argentina lost uh, to Saudi Arabia. Um, but they got the job done, which is what you need to do. As Jonathan said last week on the show, group stages aren't for smashing teams. They're for getting, getting through. Uh, you saw at the Euros, they did well in the group stages. And as Julia mentioned, they went out to Czech Republic in the last 16. So, I mean, it was a... They weren't convincing, but they did a professional job and that was their toughest group stage game and they came through it with a 2-0 win. So uh, they should 
in theory, uh, beat Ecuador and Qatar, um, but they're placed yeah. in the last 16 quite comfortably. And then set up a meeting probably between Wales or USA. So you've got a nice route there to quarterfinals for them now. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan did say last week, Julian, that group stages weren't for smashing teams. But if you're English or French, that's exactly what they were for. <laughs> now, at 1-0 to Australia last night, we were in the Who Scored WhatsApp group plotting what Australia shirts we were going to wear for this podcast. No, you well, didn't. We, we did. You're so we bad. Did. I was getting my, my Mark Bosnick shirt, was, was getting ready to come out, Julian. But France recovered 1-4-1. I, I, I want to ask you about Olivier Giroud. Because he probably wouldn't have started had Benzema not got injured. Yeah. He is one of my favourite footballers. I love watching him so much. Such a classy, classy footballer. That he, the way he links up play. Scores a lot of goals. Obviously, he's broke records for France now. What, what are your thoughts on Giroud? I think it's an incredible achievement to start with, to get to 51 goals uh, like Thierry Henry, equaling the records. And I mean, unless something really bad happens, he will he will beat the record now. And he's done it. Eight games with eight games less played than Thierry, one one five against one two three. Uh, one incredible career. Just quickly, if you go back to the start all those years ago, Olivier is thirty six now. He turned thirty six in September, and no one believed in him. He didn't go to an academy because there was no clubs that wanted to even take him in in their academies. He had to go through the lower leagues and the fourth division, the third division, the second division to make his way all all the way to the top. And then and then keep scoring. I mean, last night I looked at the stats. I was at the game. He had uh, ten passes, so and two would be kickoffs. The the kickoff, the normal kickoff, and the kickoff after the goal. I think he had something like nineteen touches again. So two for the kickoff. So only seventeen actually during the game. And two of those seventeen are the two goals he scored. It's just incredible how he's in the right place at the right time. And I even think that that side of his game, he's, got, he's always been prolific, even if, you know, in Premier League, because he's the best thing in the world, the numbers were not maybe as, as strong as in France, but still, he was, he's always been prolific. But I think with age and with experience, he's got, he's got an, an even better awareness and better understanding of the game to be at the right place at the right time, which is great. And you mentioned the fact that he, he should not have started. He might, he should not even have been in this squad. Deschamps had really, really strong doubts about just, taking him to Qatar to be a sub. And until the end, we were not really sure if he would be in or out the squad. In the end, he was in. He was supposed to be Benzema's backup. And now destiny and fate again played in his favour. Benzema obviously got injured. And now he's the starter. He didn't score a single goal in 2018 when we won the World Cup. He's got, he already has two now. It's a, it deserves really a lot of love and credit. You're probably actually upset that he scored because France tend to win a trophy when their number nine doesn't score. That's, so you're probably <laughs> upset that he has scored, actually, Julian. But as I said, France and England both making light work of their first game in the group stages. We're going to look now at England against USA. And Ben, Jude Bellingham, what a player. He, he's just incredible. Someone of, of his age to already have played so many games, to already be as complete as he is at 19 is just incredible. And luckily for us, he's English. If I was watching England-Iran, it was the first ever football game I'd watch. I knew nothing about the players. I knew nothing about the two teams, etc. And I saw Jude Bellingham's performance. I think, well, he's a player who's in his peak. He must be, you know, 26, 27, comes that age. You tell me he's 19. And I'm just sure you're joking. You're having a laugh with me having me on. Because he is unreal. Like, he just, he's amazing at everything he does. Winning the ball back, carrying it forward, finding that pass in the final third, getting the goals... There's just his, he's not even reached his limit yet. He's not even reached his ceiling. He's got so many more levels to go up. And he's just an unreal midfielder. 
we'll take away the fact that he came through the wrong side of Birmingham's football system, Julian. But yeah. a few weeks ago, imagine maybe about a month or two ago, he probably wasn't a certain starter for England, but he's he put himself in there with, with the last round of, of Nations League fixtures before the World Cup kicked off. Played incredibly well, especially in that in that Germany game. Mm. He's added goals to his game for Dortmund now. He's obviously scored his first goal for England. Is there a more complete central midfielder or young central midfielder at this tournament? In fact, you know, we talk about all the midfielders that are there. Is, is he up there with everyone? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, you can talk about experience and, and players like Casemiro who've won loads of Champions Leagues, for example. And that kind of, of course, this is, this, is, this is a different level. You can't compare a 19-year-old and a 30, 30 or 31-year-old like Casemiro. However, right now, in terms of form, in the, the big five leagues, kids of his age... Kamavinga, for example, Chouamini. Chouamini is a, is, is a little bit older, but Kamavinga is similar age. Uh, I think Bellingham is above all of them, really. I cannot see Gavi Pedri, but sli slightly different profile in the sense that they're not as complete as he is. And that's where I completely agree with Ben. There's just nothing that he cannot do. And, and to have almost already the sort of modern, perfect midfielder who can score or assist, tackle, recover the ball, pass it forward, progress progress the ball through passes or carrying the ball himself, the physicality, the intensity, the intelligence. Let's not forget, this is someone who's very, very intelligent, who's very mature for his own age, who has the family around him, the, who look after him and, and really, really closely. So he's not like an idiot who's going to you know, do crazy stuff and be in the tabloids anytime soon. So I really struggle to see anyone who could who could just be in the same league as him right now. I even think that him and Declan Rice are the perfect partnership. And, and Rice is young as well. And there might be a, a game or two in this World Cup where they, they show their age and they show their, their youth. And, and maybe that could be a problem for England. However, I don't even think there's a better pair of midfielders right now in this competition on the back of this season and what they've, they've done with their clubs better than them. I don't think Kimmich and Goretzka are better. I don't think Casemiro and Fred, who would start for Brazil, are better. I don't think that Busquets and Pedri are better. I don't think that Rabiot and Tremini are better. I don't think that De Paul and Paredes are better. I really, I, I really struggle to see a pair of midfielders right now that is better than Rice and Bellingham. I'll tell you what, Julian, that would 100% be getting clipped up and put, put on social media on, on the Who Scored Twitter page. <laughs> that's that, that, I mean, that's 100% You might disagree with me. I don't know. No, I, I don't. Forgotten. I don't. I don't know. Um, you know, for Portugal, I don't know who's going to be in midfield mid for Portugal, but yeah, I'm struggling to find a pair in this World Cup better than them. The fact that as well, I think what makes it more exciting is the fact that they, they are so young. Ben, would you go along with what Julian says? I, I think I agree with what Julian's saying. You can't really fault the logic. They've both been, Rice and Bellingham, both been excellent for um, West Ham and Dortmund, respectively, in the past season. And you would obviously have the concern about whether... England would get overrun with those two at the base. But again, they're just, Rice can cover that ground easily. Bellingham has that defensive awareness to, you know, carry out the duties in front of the defence. And then they both have the ability to get the ball forward. So is a more complete central midfield pairing. I think you do struggle to find one better than those two. I wonder, Julian, if Calvin Phillips had been playing most weeks and had been fit, obviously he got player of the year for England quite recently. He was a massive part of England doing well in the Euros. Do you think Southgate would have started Bellingham if Calvin Phillips was, was fit and raring to go? I'm not sure. And this is, you know, I don't really like Gary Southgate. I'm not a big fan, let's put it that way. Um, because I think the sort of conservatism in him would have picked 
the safety of a Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice partnership in here, which is good. I mean, Calvin Phillips is a really good player when he's fully fit and, and, and confident. I just think Bellingham takes you to another level. And I, and I don't understand even how it took so long for Southgate to establish Bellingham in his team. You mentioned it, Dan, and rightly so, that it took quite late in the Nations League process for really Bellingham to be a, a, a real starter. It's, it was pretty obvious quite a while ago that this team could easily be built with Jude Bellingham in it and that the Rice-Bellingham partnership could be very special. I just don't know why it took him so long. Now he's there. I hope he's there to stay and to be like this because, again, as good as England are in other positions, I think you can easily build your team around them too and for the next, what, 12, 15 years. Yeah, and it's... It kind of adds to a young and exciting vibe that England have it having their team, Ben. I mean, Southgate was justified with his selection because three of the top five best rated in the England team on, on Monday were Saka, Sterling and Maguire. And I think Saka was probably always going to start. But Sterling and Maguire were probably contentious picks, but who scored have them in the top five? With Maguire, he always does seem to do well for England. Um, of course, he was jinxed by our own Martin Lawrence, who said he didn't want to jinx uh, Maguire doing well. And then he came off a few minutes later, so... <laughs> we thank Martin for that. Sterling as well hadn't been great for Chelsea, but then he was excellent at the Euros. So it was not necessarily a contentious choice, but it was more of does he go with them based on club form or does he stick with his tried and trusted, tried and tested players for the game against Iran? And he was after a disastrous UEFA Nations League campaign. He was very much justified in his selections, and you know maybe it's time to kind of lay off Southgate. You get the impression he does know what he's doing in these tournaments. Um, you know, he got England to the semi-finals of the World Cup. He got into to the finals of the Euro. Maybe he does, you know, have the footballing managerial brain to actually get England far in, uh, in Qatar. Yeah, my opinion is, is that Gareth Southgate knows what to do with England in tournament football. He, he, he's shown that so far in his tenure. Slight concerns, Julian, with the defence because they did ship two goals mm. against Iran. And Harry Maguire, I think, had signalled before this goal that he that he wanted to come off, but we did see one of those traits that he's shown for Manchester United a few times, in my opinion, where he just yeah. takes that step forward that he doesn't need to take and lets the lets the attacker drift in, but behind him, if he just holds his position, that goal doesn't happen. But then you've got the good side of Harry Maguire as well, where you know he was involved in, in the first two goals. He broke the lines with a lovely pass for the first, and he headed it down for Saka, who scored that sensational finish as as well. Mm. He kind of did see the best and worst of Harry Maguire, although, as I say, there may be mitigating circumstances for the goal that he, that he was involved in that he conceded. Yeah, and I think let's not forget that he hasn't played much really the last few weeks. And I think it's, yeah, you can train and, and try to get ready for this with England, but you're still missing a little bit of maybe a bit of match fitness, the kind of rhythm that you would get by playing week in and week out for United and, and do well. So I, I, before the game, we could have said, okay, he will need a bit of time maybe to get back to 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 his best sort of match fitness form, if you want. And maybe the, that's where the mistake come from. There was the injury. I think he looked a bit tired as well, uh, even if Iran didn't attack much. But I think, again, I think the pressure that was on him, because whether you like him or not, and we all have our opinions on him, whether you think he's really good or not really good, but... You can just imagine the incredible amount of pressure. The guy is picked and people say he should not be picked. He starts, people say he should not be starting. Even if you don't listen or read or look at your social media, where you know that people are talking about you all the time. You, you've got that pressure on you. And he's used to it, of course he is, and he's a professional player. 
I don't I just don't think it's easy to carry, especially at a World Cup, especially when you play for England. So I think it's um he did well in this game, and yet they considered two goals. It's it's I don't think is is that important anyway. They would be tougher tests than this Iran team that missed their game completely. Uh, for Maguire and Stones, if if that stays the, the partnership, that if they keep the partnership like that, but but I think for Harry, this was certainly a game that I think he would see in a very positive way. Yeah, and t- talking of Harry's Julian, you, you're bringing us some information this morning when we're recording. Just when things feel like they're settling and then they're going well for England, Harry Kane's ankle suddenly comes up as as a concern. You, you've done a show this morning and found out some more information about um, that. Yeah, as we, I mean, we all know that really his ankles are the part of his body that are the most fragile. He had many injuries before. If the the, the ankle twists, usually it's it's not good news. And I think England fans could or should be worried right now because you, if, again, if there's one injury that he could pick up, you don't want it to be an ankle one. So we'll have to see. But yeah, it's true. For, I think for the last three years he's been working with. Uh, as well as the, the the club physio and the national team physios, his own physios, who has stopped wonders because he, I think before this game, it's been two years without an ankle injury. Whereas before, it was quite, it was quite regular in a sense. And uh, and I think that's well, I believe his personal physio is here to make sure that Harry can continue the competition and and be there for for the next game, which you know and. Listen, the next game again, you know, should be uh, against the USA. It should be a game that England wins, really, with or without Harry Kane. But you want him to pick up the pace. You want him to start scoring as soon as possible. So he needs to be fit for that. Yeah, Ben. I mean, you're a Spurs fan, so you'll absolutely adore Harry Kane anyway. But as a country, I think we are so so lucky to to have Harry Kane, even though he didn't score. On Monday, he's involved in all the good that England. Some of uh, the touches. Oh, he's just he's just absolutely r- ridiculous. You know, a lot of the big nations they they struggle to have that that goal scorer. You you look at who leads that who leads the line for Spain and Holland, for mm. example. England then have got one of the best strikers on on the planet, and not only is he one of the best goal scorers on the planet, he's also one of the best link up players on the planet as well. Yeah, I mean, he got two assists against. Um against Iran, so he, he showed that uh, creative side to his game. That ball for Sterling's goal was just perfect. I mean, it wasn't a very, it was a very good finish pass. by Sterling, but the yeah. pass was just unbelievable. Um, if he is injured for the USA game, you would think England probably stu- do still have enough. Obviously, the ankle injury is a concern. I mean, it was since that Southampton game on New Year's Day in 2020, where he, I think he strained his ankle ligaments and he was supposed mm-hmm. to be out for rest of the season or at least a substantial chunk of um, that has when when these ankle problems have really started to flare up for him but if if England lose him for the USA game it's probably not the end of the world if he's back for the Wales game if he's out for both games then obviously there's a lot of trust uh, in Callum Wilson but he doesn't have that same link-up play that same goal scoring uh, not uh, versatility you'd say uh, Wilson has uh you know he's a good, he's a very good goal scorer, but Kane is a bit more versatile when it comes to finishing. And he also the way he sort of links up with the attack as well. You've got Sterling and Saka sort of cutting in from the left and the right. I think it would be a concern if he is out for the rest of the tournament, definitely. Uh, but Wilson does have what it takes to do the job against USA and Wales as well if he is called upon. Would you risk him? Would you would you risk Harry for the for the USA? Let's say that it's not uh, he can still play in the tournament, but if you play him, you know, he's not completely fully fit. Would you risk him or would you just say, listen, we should have enough here. Have a rest for the next 
three, four days, and then you'll be ready to go again for the Wales game. But for the USA game, we can we can deal with Callum Wilson or I don't know, a force number nine, whatever they want. Would you risk him or would you would you play him at all not at all costs, but you would you play him regardless anyway? I would probably rest him or at least have him on the bench ready to come on if needs be. Um I wouldn't start him just because the USA can play this sort of high intensity game that mm. might impact the way he moves on that ankle and don't do any further damage to it. And I still think Wilson would have enough to get the job done for England against them. I think because England have already got three points as well, it wouldn't be worth the risk if there's any doubt whatsoever. And in pre you know, big games before we've we've seen Harry Kane play when he when he's not fully fit and he and it and it was a struggle for him. You think back to that Champions League final against Ains Liverpool, I, th- I think it was. It was it was a difficult day for him. He wasn't really involved in the yeah. game. He was rushed back. If there's any doubt over Harry Kane whatsoever, I think it would be a risk not worth taking for this USA game because they've won that first game, because they, they should get through the group the, the way it's set up anyway. I just don't see what why you would risk him, especially when you've got a good goal scorer who, who would revel in probably leading the line for England in their World Cup in Callum Wilson. I wouldn't take that risk, but I'm not Gareth Southgate and I'm not Harry Kane. Julian, we, we talk about USA's intensity, that midfield in, in particular, you know, Tyler Adams, Eunice Moose, Weston McKenna. Yeah, that's a that's a good quality midfield, but it's also a very energetic midfield that, that likes to get in your face. Don't know if they can keep it up or for how long they can keep it up because that second half against against the Welsh, for example, their intensity dropped. And I know Kiefer Moore. I mean, when like when I hear that Kiefer Moore changed the whole game, I was like, really? It's amazing. Uh, that's the World Cup as well. But yeah, I, I just don't know how 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 long, how much more they can keep it up. If they can keep it up for an hour for more and maybe control that energy to make sure that they use it better a bit because that first half was really interesting. I thought from the USA, but especially from them three in midfield, they complement each other well. Um, it's the similar generation. I mean, McKinney is slightly older, but I think this is this is really really interesting what they have. But you can't just disappear in the second half if you're if you're those three midfielders and you're such a big key on what your team is doing. You disappear and then suddenly you're under pressure and your defense is under pressure and this is not good. And again, I think the matchup between the USA three midfielders, which it, it would be the same one, and Rice and Bellingham would be very very interesting. Yeah, that'd be a good battle in the in the middle of the park. USA were good in in, in the first half, Ben, but the game did get away from them. Perhaps if the game had been ten minutes longer, I think Wales might have might have gone on to win that. What signs have you seen? Is there anything England should be deeply concerned about? It is that midfield three uh, very high energetic? If he, if he if Southgate plays that two of Bellingham and Rice, you know, could they be overwhelmed by those two? Obviously, Rice and Bellingham are two quality midfielders that do have the ability to bypass that press. But again, you've basically got a two-on-one situation when one of them has the ball. Um, and it was as Julian alluded to, Kiefer Moore that did change the game. He came on. Wales went more direct and bypassed that midfield. Um, Bale, you know, thrived with more being up there, more, more so than he did Daniel James. And if if it is kind of a three-on-two situation in the midfield for the USA, they would probably get their tails up, would fancy their chances of beating that midfield. And then you put pressure on the defence that way, winning the ball back up the pitch. And it's just whether the USA have the composure and the players to to the sword if they do win the ball high of the pitch. So it's a case of whether Southgate has seen what happened in the second half against Wales and thinks, well, maybe I should go more direct to sort of ease the pressure on Rice and Bellingham, or does he place trust in that midfield three with Mason Mount in there, uh, or even bring Calvin Phillips and just to kind of bulk it up a bit to combat mm-hmm. the, that midfield three. 
think maybe Julian, it was Wales's system that maybe helped that midfield look a bit more accomplished in in the first half. Because Wales were playing that kind of kind of five three five three two in the end, but they, they were sat sat very deep in no. that first half. In particular, if England have got mounts, we know we talk about energy. Mount drops in as well as I think he probably will a bit more in that game rather than being alongside the striker a bit more like he was in the first game. You know, Mount Bellingham and Rice is a pretty energetic midfield. Yeah, it is, and I'm again. It's no offense to the Welsh, but Ampadu and, and Ramsey played as the two sort of deeper deeper centre yeah, midfield. That's not really Ramsey's game at all. Exactly either. And and I don't think Ampadu is very good under pressure either to get out of that press. So yeah, I think that you're right. That helped the USA, which wanted to start that way too on the front foot and, and etc. This would be a very different game against England. I know that the 4141 worked really well, of course, for, for Southgate and England against against Iran. There would be games where you I don't think that system would work. I don't. I, I think the USA is, is still not good enough or not ready to compete with England. And I think you can just basically, if everybody's fit, play the same team as against Iran. And, and I expect another good performance from England. But there might be a time, maybe when you face a, like a bigger team, that maybe, like Ben just said, you you drop a Mason Mount, for example, that can always come on the bench, come off the bench, and then you've got Kevin Phillips, and that midfield three is a bit more solid, and and maybe you go. You, you know, you go a little bit more cautious. I don't want to say too cautious because Bellingham, as we've been saying, goes forward quite a lot. But yeah, that's that's also the other option you have, which is a great option. You know, moving Mount out for Phillips in, if Phillips is fit and ready to go, is, is again very interesting depending on the opposition. Yeah, England have got that thing as well where, you know, we've said it in, in previous podcasts, you know, you've got starters and you've got finishers. England have got some incredible finishes of games to bring on to, to be able to bring on Jack Grealish and Phil Ford in the World Cup. Countries would kill to have those kind of options, and England have got James Madison as well, who, who wasn't fit enough to, to make the substitutes bench. You know, having those attacking options to come on and change a game if it's tight. England are in a, in a blessed position now. Ben and I are biased, so we're not going to do a prediction. But, but Julian, England USA, what's your score prediction? My score prediction is 3-1 for England. I still think they, they might consider goal, uh, but I think they would they would literally blast them. Oh, good. We'll take that every day of the week, Julian. <laughs> Thank you very much. Let's look now at Portugal v Ghana. And Julian, when when World Cup tournaments are on, I don't know whether, you, whether you're the same. You probably know so much about football. It, it doesn't matter, but you like to discover players that your club might be able to, to sign, new, new players that you've not seen before. There's a free agent now doing the rounds for Portugal called Cristiano Ronaldo. Do you, do you know yeah, much about him? Yeah. Yeah, apparently it's quite good. It's quite good. It, I mean, I, I, I don't be. know. Don't know if you could do it outside of Portugal, though. To be fair, you know, on the Tuesday night in Stoke, for example, or even Old Trafford. The issue I have is we've spoken more about Cristiano and the problems and the relationship with United, but also with his own teammates with Portugal and Bruno Fernandes and Joao Cancelo and all of that. Bernardo Silva was saying the other day, like, you know, you don't we don't even talk about us, Portugal, in this World Cup which I think is a shame. I think it could be a distraction as well. They've got a, a, an amazing squad, even if Jota obviously has missed out through an injury, which is a shame for them. But still, they've got a super talented squad. Question marks over the managers, Fernando Santos, who you know is, is, uh, is very conservative and kind of defensive-minded yet. But still, if they get the right formula, if it clicks, it could, it could be very good. But there will always be this Cristiano kind of shadow above above it all about himself and the future and what's just happened with United, etc. Which, again, I think could be a bit of a negative vibe. There are so many options in, in those front positions as well, but it, it will be Ronaldo that, that plays. 
do you think he, he should be phased out at this point or do you, do you see him as being that talisman, the, the person who's going to take Portugal far? It kind of depends if Santos wants to set up his team similar to kind of Ten Hag one or two with May United. Um, being look at the options in reserve, João Felix hasn't been great for Atletico Madrid, Andre Silva hasn't been great for RB Leipzig and Gonzalo Ramos as good as he has been for Benfica. He, I mean, he's the top scoring player in Liga B win this season. He's only 21 years of age. Um, I mean, he was linked with Newcastle over the summer, but and he's sort of taken his game to the next level. He's had a goals to his game, which is you know really good to see, especially in the, uh, the departure of Darwin Nunes. But whether Santos wants to kind of mix with that form of Ronaldo being the talisman, being the lead, lead man in that Portugal team, it is hard to see. Um, I don't think he will. I think he'll stick with Ronaldo and maybe have Bernardo Silva and Otavio either side of him. Um, so I think he'll stick with Ronaldo, but whether it works in Portugal's favour after everything that's happened off the pitch, it does remain to be seen. Yeah, I mean, that, I've had a look through that Portugal squad, Julian. That's a, a serious squad. They've got some yeah. incredible options, especially in the, in the midfield and, and forward positions. I, I can't remember if he's injured or not. Renato Sanchez injured. He, he, he's not in, not in the squad, which I, oh, I find. Yeah, they didn't pick him. Yeah, he was didn't fit, pick him. Didn't pick him. No. I mean, that uh, he's what he's a, a great midfielder, Renato Sanchez. Might, might not have played as much for PSG, but mm. he's, an, he's an incredible footballer. But he's not getting in the squad. You know, they've lost Jota. They've got but Bernardo Silva, who's one of the loveliest footballers to watch as well. You look through that team, Portugal have got, have got a serious squad. Yeah, yeah, they have, they have, but the talent has always been there, really. Uh, they won Euro 2016, of course, against my beloved France in a very, in a very sort of, I was going to say defensive way, in a very like kind of solid, solid way. Uh, but they can play more expensive football. I just don't know. I'm not convinced that Fernando Santos is the guy for that. And I think this could be his last competition anyway. And then you could see maybe a change in the way Portugal are playing. Cristiano won't be there for much longer either. And, and after that, look at, Rafa, look at what Rafael Leao has been doing for Milan in the league, for example. You mentioned Bernardo Silva, uh, Jota, Gonzalo Ramos that, that Ben mentioned. They've got some good youngsters, Antonio Silva at the back, for example. So th the next generation is already there, plus the current one, plus the slightly older one, you know, of the Bruno Fernandes and Ruben Neves and those kind of guys. So this is great. And I really think that they can do something good in this World Cup if Fernando Santos, I think he's ready to play a bit more attacking football. If he's the Portugal of, of old, I just don't think in this tournament, in Qatar here, with the heat, with the way other teams are playing, I just don't think it would work. Yeah, they've also got the the next big thing in goalkeeping coming through as as well. Portugal, yeah. in my opinion. So, you, like you say, the, the future for Portugal could be very bright. Ben, is there any hope for Ghana? Can you can you give me anything on Ghana? I mean, they have obviously got uh, Tarek Lamptey and Anaki Williams. Uh, they've managed to convince them to switch allegiance to Ghana. They do have a good core set of players in there, and with Party and uh, AU as well. Um, it kind of depends if Portugal have this implosion, if this Ronaldo situation off the pitch does distract them on the pitch. But if it doesn't, then I think Portugal will have too much for Ghana. Yeah, I'm struggling to see past the Portugal win myself, but you, you do never know. Ghana could go there and pull off a surprise. Let's look now at Brazil v Serbia. And Julian, we're going to start with Serbia because, again, I was perusing their, their team. Their first 11 in particular Wow, it's a really, yeah. really strong first level. You go back to probably 2010 when I, I remember looking at Serbia and thinking, oh, they got some, they got some decent players. This side's yeah. probably better than that team. Yeah, I think you're right. I think this is probably the best generation that they've had in terms of mixing the youth and the experience. 
I mean, if if you're a defender and you've got Vlaovic and Mitrovic coming up against you, you don't want that. You really you don't no. want you don't want that uh, facing you. And then everywhere, really everywhere you look between Milinkovic Savic and Kostic on the as a as a kind of a left wing back, you've got even Tadic who's not having a good season with Ajax, really, or certainly not as good as in, as the ones that may be in the past. But there's talent everywhere, and yet. There's also a lot of question marks because in those big tournaments and those big competitions, when they've qualified, it's never really been that convincing. So I don't know if, if this one, this generation there could do better. I, I think it's a tough group to start with. Uh, it won't be easy to get out of that group. But I think if they did, then it's typically the kind of boost that they would need to then go into the last 16 and can trouble anybody, really, because they're so hard to beat. Remember when they beat Portugal? Uh, of course, to, to book their place here is just yeah, it's just it's just something potentially something very very good that but again with with not enough experience of doing well in big tournaments to be certain to be like yeah oh yeah they would be in the last sixteen nations lacking that that, that big name striker or that, that clinical goal scorer Serbia have got have got two. I've got three as well, Luka Jovic. Um, yeah, I forgot about Jovic. Yeah, you know they're all. Not only are they good at putting the ball in the back of that, they're physical as well. So they're not going to give defenses an easy ride when they come up against them. And I think against Brazil, that physicality is going to really weigh in there in Serbia's favour if they pump the ball long, um, especially aim for the fullbacks. I don't think Brazil's fullbacks are particularly convincing. Uh, mm. The rest of the squad stacked with talent. You know, Edison, Allison, Premier League quality goalkeepers. The centre backs are very good. Central midfield and, and attack is obviously, you know, five star. Um, but at fullbacks, you have to wonder whether Alexandro, Alex Tellez, Danilo, or Dani Alves have what it takes to kind of counter that physical side of the um, of Serbia. I mean, you look at uh, Mitrovic's goal against Liverpool at the start of the season. He made that late run to the back post, capitalised on Alexander Arnold's questionable defending. And if you know you get Kostic whipping the balls in from the left as, uh, for Mitrovic to the back post. Do Sandro and Tellez or Tellez have what it takes to kind of counter that threat? Probably not. I mean, Mitrovic one of the proven to be an excellent Premier League goal scorer. He just unsettles defences and he won't give them an easy ride on Thursday. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Brazil do counter that physical threat, whether they'll sort of stick with maybe Silver on him or Marquinhos just to try and counter what he'll bring to the side. But even then, they've got Flahovic or Jovic to come in as well. I'm starting to convince myself, the more we talk, that Serbia can actually go and cause an upset in, the, in this first game, Julian. Oh. You know, Kostic has got one of the best deliveries in, in the mm. world from, from the flanks. You've know, got Vlajovic and Mitrovic to get on the, on the end of it. If there's one thing you'd say about Brazil, I would look at that back four and think, I think that can be got at. The Thiago Silva discussion, I think, is fascinating here because he's obviously 37 now, I think. And this is a back four, by the way. There's there's yeah. no way Chichi's going to move to a back three. And, and Thiago has been really good at Chelsea to kind of resurrect a little bit his career towards the end in the back three because that sweeper role is just is just made for him, especially at that age. Now there's no there's no sweeper, there's no back three anymore. So it's you and Marquinhos against Vlaovic and Mitrovic and Vlaovic and Mitrovic in, in, in this game in particular. And they're gonna be in your face. And I'm just I just don't know how Thiago Silva is gonna cope with that. I really don't. Uh, because every time, well, not every time, but pretty much every time Chelsea moved to a back four and he played, it'd been more difficult for him. And this was not to the level of this Serbian team. So it, it could potentially be for Thiago and Marquinhos a bit of a, of a, of a tough ride. 
Um, for the rest, if Brazil steals the ball and keep it and keep it and keep it again, I think the Serbian are going to get tired running after it. And then Neymar, Paqueta, Vini and all the others could also have a lot of fun. You've seen a lot of Marquinhos and Thiago Silva over the yeah. years. Is it, is it, will the physical side be something that, that could unsettle them? Yeah, I think so. More more for Thiago Silva, who's very good in the air. So I, I don't think the problem is so much the physicality. It's just that he struggles more in a back four than in a back five for obvious reasons, that I think Vlaovic and Mitrovic are pain to play against for anybody, but especially if you mark Inno Santiago Silva and, and, and play the kind of Brazilian way because you might not have the time to do that. And then Marquinhos has had a season of up and downs. PSG played for a while in back three, which he hates, and really he plays there because he has to, but he's not his best at all. They moved back to a back four in the few weeks before this tournament, before the World Cup started. And then suddenly Marquinhos looked much better and was much better on the pitch. So at least he's got that in him, that kind of momentum for the last few weeks. But before that, it was a bit of a struggle as well this season for him. So it, that, that matchup, again, is the key. It's pretty obvious. But very interesting to see how the two Brazilian defenders uh, like kind of react to Mitrovic and Vlaovic. Yeah, it's been some fascinating games already. I, re- I really think this one this one will be up there in yeah, the first that's a round good one, of fixtures. Yeah. It, that's going to be a really intriguing game. Argentina obviously lost lost Ben, so they've lost some ground early. So I still think they'll, they'll get through, but it's, it's a terrible start for them. Would you say Brazil are now the favourites? I thought Brazil were the favourites before the tournament started. Okay. Um, I still think they'll go on to win it, even with the kind of centre-back and full-back issues. I still think that quality in midfield, and as Julian said, if they get the ball and they hold it, they're going to tie teams out, especially in the... Um, Qatari Heat, and I still think Brazil will will win this one. Um, they might struggle against Serbia, but they should have enough to get through the group and then go all the way, in my opinion. I've got France in the sweepstakes, so that's absolutely You're a good finished. man. You're a very good oh, man. Yeah, oh, it's, that, it's not that, your choice. Okay. okay. No, no, I've sweepstakes. That, 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 that's, okay. that, that's finished them. They're, they're not winning the World Cup this year, Julian. So maybe they get them in the sweep. Well, because I've got them in the sweepstakes. Absolutely no chance. That's, that's what can you win? What do you win if they win? <laughs> 20 quid or something. It's, it, it, it's, not, it's not very much at all. But... I can't believe you're jinxing my team for, for the sake of 20 quid. <laughs> I wish you'd picked Brazil, by the way. Usually, usually I pick out Saudi Arabia or, or Iran in, <laughs> in the World Cup. So it was a surprise <laughs> for me to get a, a big nation like France. That They've got Denmark. <laughs> well, I wasn't mad. If I was talking about Denmark, Julian, am I, am I missing mm. something? Because I wasn't massively impressed with them yesterday when I watched them. Obviously, obviously a nil-nil game wasn't brilliant. But people are talking about them as dark horses. I'm not. Uh, am I missing something? What am I? What am I not seeing there? No, I, th- I think there's real potential, and there's a good mix of experience and youth, and and I think that the formation, that system with the wing backs where Christensen and and Mele play is interesting. Obviously, with Ericsson at the heart of it all, I do think they like a, a really prolific striker. I mean, Casper Dolberg. We've we've seen him in France when he was at Nice before going on loan to. Uh, to Spain and he was he's a good he's a good player but nothing nothing special I think and that that could be a problem for them but they had a really good Euros of course they had a really good Nations League after they beat France twice in the Nations League home and away and the their, their home win the, so our away loss they were very convincing Deschamps got his team completely wrong but but they they, they were really good so I don't know. It's hard. I just think it's hard to play against Tunisia because they're so physical and they they well organized and so compact. They don't give you much, but they also had a couple of good chances in Denmark where they could easily have like, scrapped through a one nil win, for example. And we would not be talking like that about them. So I'm still quite wary about what they can do against the French. I think they might have that psychological advantage of having won the last two games, 
and and France will play more, will play more than what Tunisia did, for example, which again could play into Denmark's hand. Obviously, they got to the semi-finals of the, of the Euro, so they've, they've got something about them. I'm not, I'm not completely writing them off as a bad side. I'm just not seeing them up there as, as one of the dark horses for, for the tournament, if I'm being perfectly honest. And Julian as well last night for France, Hernandez for Hernandez. When you you know when you're going off injured, the last thing you want really is probably your brother to come on and, and do really well. But has Deschamps yeah. stumbled upon the, the best defensive combination? It looks like Lucas Hernandez will probably be out for a while, probably certainly the rest of this tournament. Yeah, yeah, they've announced it last night. He's gone home today, which is really sad. You yeah, know, it's, it's, I mean, I know he, he played in the World Cup before, of course, and 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 won it, which was great for him. But this is this is the kid's dream to play in the World Cup, and when he stops after 15 minutes or something. Uh, or 10 minutes even. This is it's, it's an absolute nightmare for him. Theo came on and did really well and there was a big debate back home before the game on, okay, who you should start a, a left-back. They're, they're brothers, but they're, they're very different, of course, in their yeah. profile. One is much more attacking, Theo. Lucas is, is more defensive-minded. He's a centre-back, really, uh, by trade. So, And I, I was always a Theo fan more than a Lucas fan. And now Theo will start. It will create problems against big teams, better teams, because him and Mbappe on the same side is just like, oh my God, he said, you know, no one will defend. They will be up there all the time, like literally running the channel. So you could get done on that side at some point. However, it's really fun to watch Taiwan on this play because he's just so good. He's got this incredible intelligence going forward or seeing the space and getting into that space is, is great. So I think he might be an asset for France. Wasn't there an issue with Teo a couple of years ago where he was supposed to be called up for Spain? No, no, no. I think both of them really. Uh, Lucas too, before, because they were born, obviously, I think they were born in France, but moved really young to Spain. I think maybe their dad obviously finished his career in Spain for Atletico Madrid and a, and a few other clubs. Uh, so they were eligible completely for this Spanish nationality, they might even have it, to be fair. And because, a bit for Emmerich Laporte, similar to Emmerich Laporte, because Deschamps was kind of taking a bit of time, I don't know why, to call them up, first Lucas, and then for Theo even longer. There was a point where, I guess we you know, we had um, really, really good left-backs before, uh, between Ding and Benjamin Mendy, for example, or, or others, Ferland Mendy too. So we were kind of stacked with good left-backs, and I think... Deschamps always saw Theo as talented, but not good enough defensively. But there was a point where you could not not call him up anymore. He was too good with Milan, and 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 now he's he's in there. But yeah, you're right. He almost he would have. I think he would have said yes probably to Spain had they called him up as well. Yeah, learned a few things today, Ben. Obviously, I found out this morning you, you're eligible for, for Australia. I'm eligible yeah. for, for for Italy as, as well as England. Have you you got anyone else you're eligible for, Julian? Uh, Spain, yeah, Spain on my dad's side. Oh, but I mean, France really is my only love. Yeah, like no, I, can, I can I can tell it. You, you've made that very clear uh, <laughs> over the years. Just like on, on Theo Hernandez, he kind of forces Deschamps to be a little bit more ex- expansive. I know that sounds stupid because the fans have got so many good attacking players, but him at left back, also Mbappe creates so 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 much space because he spends so mm. much time cutting inside the space. Then for Theo Hernandez, who is a very like you say, very different to his brother and plays such an expansive role for Milan as well. Do you think that could end up long-term being a good thing for France in this tournament? Only, I think, if Deschamps can tactically get it right in the sense that you know exactly what's going to happen. So, I mean, we all know it. Theo is going to bomb forward. Kylian is up there already. And then if we lose the ball or when we lose the ball, then there's all that space behind. So, Rabiot, who will be that sort of left-side midfielder. Clever, clever in the midfield player. Too. 
clever player, but he will have to compensate. He will have to come and cover. Same with the left centre-backs, which is likely to be Upamecano, even when Varane comes back. And then I think shift that back four into almost a, a back three with Pavar, who is anywhere more of a centre-back too. I mean, he's pretty yeah. useless with the ball, except when he plays against Argentina and scores the, the greatest goal of... one of the greatest goals in World Cup history. But then you shift that those three into almost a back three and then you will be more solid. But that this this takes some work. And the thing is, so far, one, no teams has had much much time to work before the World Cup because it was so close to the end of the of the of the leagues. And then you just can't do it like this, I think. So let's see. Even against Denmark, it'd be very interesting to see with their wing backs if Christensen on that side can take advantage of Theo going up and down that left wing and Kylian not defending at all. But yeah, there's there's a risk that you 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 can be exposed on that side for sure. I mean, I don't think any team ever in World Cup history has been more unlucky with injuries than, than France, both pre-tournament and, and now during the tournament. Yeah. It's absolutely incredible the amount of players that, that are missing some real misfortune for France. But Julian, it's been our fortune to have you on today. Thanks ever so much for coming Thank on you. and talking to us. I believe you're back next time. As well, Ben, I've got yeah, I think no so. idea when we're yeah. next on. No, so. I think so. Yeah. You've put Ben under pressure anyway, so I have to come back now anyway. So yeah, it's yeah good. you're in now. Whatever happens, <laughs> I've cost, cost <laughs> scored the, the big bucks by, by saying that. Ben when, ben, when are we back? Uh, back on Monday. Back on Monday. Quick, quick turnaround. Right. So we're back Monday and then again on Wednesday. Okay, so, oh yes, on Monday and Wednesday next week for these World Cup preview shows. Hopefully you're enjoying the two that we've done so far. Just to make sure you don't miss them, if you subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on, then everyone at Who Scored would very much appreciate that. I hope you're all enjoying the World Cup so far. I know I definitely am, and it seems like the guys are as well. As I said, we'll be back next week, and as ever, stay safe. Stay safe.